0: Alright everyone, we're in economics, please open your textbooks to page 315, we'll be in chapter 11. Make sure you take good notes, this will be on the on the test. For those of you who missed last week's assignment, it's too late, you've already received, yeah, we got it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I'd be the one that would get the, you know, have to go after class and write, I will not talk in class. That was me. My teachers were very kind, put up with a lot from me. Announcements. Uh, So next week, August 29th, we have Fifth Sunday. So we have uh, a special speaker. We're going to have the Young Life folks come and talk to us as part of our our missions Sundays. They're going to come and talk to us for Fifth Sunday. We have potluck. We have communion. And we're going to do some baptisms. So I'm guessing that like uh, we'll, we'll do potluck and then probably like three or four o'clock we'll, we'll decide that next weekend what's good for, for folks. Uh, we'll go down to the river at the one with boat ramp and uh, and go do a couple of baptisms. So if anyone needs to be baptized, now's your chance. Yep, speak up now or speak up then or just come and you can get baptized. That will be Yeah, just bring, everybody bring your swimsuits. Everybody wants to get baptized, even if you don't want to get baptized, Bring your swim trunks. My children will be there and you'll get wet. Great. So, uh, Farmer's Market, we did the first one yesterday. And uh, so we've got the sign-up sheet at the back. If somebody wants to sign up to, to do the, the next uh, Saturdays, we're going to do this through September. We're going to go set up the booth at the Farmer's Market. And the idea is we're going to mostly just want to pray with, with people. Um Nathan and I have been brainstorming a little bit on how we might um, do a little bit more with it from there. But for right now, we're just going we to have folks, we're just going to have it open for prayer. If anybody wants to stop by, we're giving away water. Uh, we've got some business cards and uh, some flyers that we'll hand out as well. But we're just sticking our toes in the water, seeing how it, how it feels to, to be out in public there and then see what, what develops from that. The next food bank is September 10th and 11th. And also September 11th. There is a Chris Tomlin concert at, at Los Colonius Park. I saw the Praise Him Ministries put out a, a flyer for it, if anyone is interested in that. There's actually going to be more than just Chris Tomlin there, but he is the, the headliner. Bible studies. We have uh, Wendy and Kenner hosting a Wednesday evening Bible study here um, at the church. And then the Tuesday evening men's and ladies' studies will resume September 14th. Ms. Jill's study is going to resume the 31st. That is a Tuesday Um, You ladies know who you are and be there promptly at 9.15. Sunday school is going on. They are into their curriculum and all of those pieces. I want to talk for just a moment, uh, I want to talk about missions, uh, about what's going on in Afghanistan. Uh, It's not a good situation for our Christian brothers and sisters there. Uh, I saw a a quick blurb saying that um, the Taliban is notifying everyone that they know of who are christian leaders who are church leaders um, that they will be contacting them that they're there to remain in place that uh, um, they will be coming to get them that uh, they're clearly not welcome there and we don't know what their faith will be but um, we know what their opinion of christians are and what, what they typically have done and so uh, they certainly could use our prayer we know that that our god is big that our god is good and that through all of these things that he will work without in the end but he does not promise us safety or security. He does not guarantee that we're going to have an easy time or that we're going to have an easy life. And those folks went over there, and they're, they're carrying their cross as we speak. So we certainly want to lift them up in prayer. It's, uh, it's amazing how quickly things can change in our world. For 20 years, there's been an American military presence there, and afghanistan and now within the course of just a a few weeks um, all of the schools i mean that i have a a buddy that went over there and served and he said it was kind of crazy being in in kandahar because there was basically a mall you could go to mcdonald's you could go to subway you could go to all of these places when they would um, come back to to kabul or or kandahar um, it was like being in an american city Um, and he he was out in forward operating bases um, working as a uh, with an infantry unit, and then and come back. And he said it was really weird to go from, you know, sixth century, eighth century living um, in, in huts and, and no running water, no electricity, and then you come back to this basically modern American city. It was, um, yeah. And now all of that's that's gone in a matter of just a, just a few weeks. And uh, I've been seeing quite a few posts. I have um, some friends that have been over there who served both as contractors and as soldiers, and. I think that's, you know, the hard thing for them is to see what they worked for, what they fought for, um, just go away so quickly. They, they're such amazing people. They love who they were over there protecting, who they were over there serving. Um, They didn't take it lightly or talk down about the Afghani people. I see pictures from my friends all the time of the the children Mm -hmm. and the the moms and the dads that they would be there in the villages protecting and, and serving alongside. And it was not a, an antagonistic relationship. They genuinely wanted to be there and wanted to serve. And that's the tragedy: is is those folks there that um, are now being handed over to Sharia law. Um, so let's let's pray, shall we? I think we could lift that up in prayer. Father, first of all, thank you for worship this morning. Father, we uh, man, it was so good to, uh, to get to lift our voices up together you sing praise to you. Thank you that we get together this morning and get to praise your name. Thank you for our worship leaders who, so uh, every week they um, they send us to you. Thank you so much. Father, we are thankful for, we have got to have a week. We are thankful for where we are. We are thankful for this beautiful place where we live. And Father, we, we lift up the people of Afghanistan to you, like right? the like the folks in, in, in Myanmar and Thailand, like so many places around the world, Father, we just see evil crashing in on these good people. And we can't help but be afraid. Father, we feel so powerless in the face of such overwhelming evil. And we don't want to spend any more lives in endless conflict. We would just love for you to break out all over the world Specifically in these places, Father, if you would please save them, just preserve them, just speak to them loudly, shine brightly, send your angels to protect them, Father, please. So many souls that uh, today don't get to live the same lives that they did yesterday. We know that we are fortunate. You know. Please, Father, if there's something we can do to help them, please let us we live in such comfort. Our heart breaks for our brothers and sisters around the world who don't. Who don't have the same things that we enjoy. Father, we lift up this time that we have together. We're going to open Your Word. We're going to dive into John, and we're just seeking Your blessing. We are seeking You today. We are seeking Your wisdom. Please open Your heart and Your mind to us. To So again, this week we are in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 29. As Jim pointed out, I made it John chapter 616, verse 29. Colon makes all the difference. But we're in John chapter 6, verses 16 through 29. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then, Uh, some boats from Tiberias land near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus or his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. When they asked him, what must we do to do the good works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one He has sent. Our theme for John has been, has been faith. Today, last week was a, a message of encouragement. We were talking about how God encourages us and sustains us and, and preserves us in times of trial. Today, we're going to take a test of joking when I, but today we are going to look inside to test ourselves, because this chapter and these last two chapters really are about discerning between true and false disciples, people that are truly following Jesus, whose hearts are truly in the right place, in comparison to people who are not. If we were to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I would say that the worst thing that I could do standing up here would be to deceive you, would be to lie to you, to make you think that you are saved when you are not, to give you some sort of false hope or false promise. I think that's the worst thing. And in fact, the Bible says that those that do that, that lead people to destruction, that they will have... A worse hell, if that's even possible, than the others. When in this test, you know a lot of us. You know, we've been in the church for quite a long time, and it's it's interesting to hear people's testimonies to hear their stories of how they came to the faith. For some people, it was like a light switch, like a light being turned on, or like being struck by lightning. They, there's a marked difference in their lives, and they can tell you the exact day, and the exact hour, and the exact time when they came to believe in Christ, when the Holy Spirit struck them and suddenly everything in their life changed. For some people, it's a gradual process. They can mark a time when they came to faith and they have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, but there wasn't that, that lightning moment. Instead, it was, has been a gradual process where they have grown closer to the Lord. The thing is that you know what is in your heart. The rest of us, we get to see the evidence of what is in your heart by your words and by your actions. And chapters 5 and 6 have dealt heavily with people who sought Christ with the wrong heart and for the wrong reasons. And it is repetitive, but it's worth repeating. John and the Holy Spirit have dedicated a lot of time and work to lay down these words so that we could take the time to examine ourselves, examine our hearts and minds, to examine our faith, and to see where we land. To uh, to paraphrase Sun Tzu in The Art of War, it says, If you know yourself and you know your opponent, victory is assured. If you know yourself but do not know your opponent, your odds of success are half or 50-50. But if you do not know yourself and do not know your opponent, your failure is almost certain. The point of taking this test is to get to know ourselves in relationship to Christ. And we're going to focus specifically on verse 627, although in a fairly loose way. It says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. At the end of each week, at the end of each day, we should be able to answer the question with a yes. Did I work for food that endures for eternal life this week? Did I work for food that endures to eternal life today we should be able to answer that question yes and we gather here on Sunday for a reason we all had a week I I assume everyone had a week Yes, no one time traveled or somehow jumped it's had ups and downs hasn't it it's had its successes and its failures it's had its, its hurts and we've gathered here together we're looking for some renewal we're looking for renewal for our hearts and minds for strength to be renewed and we get to offer up praise to god and in our time of worship we are renewed we are con- reconnected with our creator we get to lay out our praises and our our lamentations we get to cry out to god with our sadness and with our happiness we get to spend time together in community and fellowship with believers where we get to share our lives with each other that's why i I don't mind if we stand around and talk for a bit. That's why I don't want us to go over to the fellowship hall after church. So we get to share our lives together with each other to build community. We're a team. I'm not just a team. We're a fighting force. So we spend building that team. We spend time building together. And because we have that some common set of beliefs and values, we gain strength and resolution and comfort in not being alone in our struggles. And it's hard when a lot of our time is spent with people who have, in larger measure, values that are radically different from Christian values. It's tough to go to places that are not Christian and spend tons and tons of time there day after day. It's hard. It's hard not to become like those people. It's hard not to take on their attributes or their beliefs. Then, after we spend some time with each other and we have spent some time in worship. Then we spend some time in the Word or in Scripture. And we as humans, we have, we have several different aspects to ourselves. I've, I've laid out three of them. We have our, our physical bodies, our, our meat that we have. We have our emotional or our spiritual side. And then we have our intellect or our reason. And our, our time in worship, part of that nourishes the emotional and the spiritual. And our time in the Word The intention is to nourish the intellect, the reason. When someone asks you why do you go to church or what is the benefit of going to church, these are the things that you can say. You can say, well, I, I go there for community and for fellowship. I go there for emotional and spiritual nourishment. I go there for intellectual or reason nourishment so that I am renewed in my commitment, in my mission to spreading the gospel quite frankly, on the contrary, if you are not receiving those things, then it's time to throw a flag on the field. Say, hey, Phil, guess what, man? You ain't doing it. You have a job to do, and you are doing your job. I am not being fed. I'm not being renewed. I'm not being nourished. That's the time to hold me accountable, because those are my responsibilities of standing up here in front of you. And part of the evidence of our faith, of your faith, is in your perseverance, in your continuing in the faith. We go to Mark chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And most of us know people who, for for various reasons, have left Christianity. They attended church, maybe with their parents, or maybe as adults, and they have drifted away. Maybe they were baptized, maybe they made a confession of faith, but now... They do not attend church. They don't spend time in worship and prayer and the word. And they do not speak or act like Christians. They have left the faith. We have friends and relatives and even spouses and children who for one reason or another have walked away from the church. It hurts, doesn't it? 1 John 2, verse 18 to 19. says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Enduring in the church, enduring in the fundamentals of Christianity is a sign that we can look for when we are seeking fellow believers. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it teases this idea out. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when we see someone who day after day, year after year, dedicates themselves to prayer and worship and fellowship and studying the Word and mission, spreading the gospel, it is reasonable to assume they have a measure of genuine faith, although that's not always the case. But it's a reasonable statement to make. I will give you a, a word of caution. As we go forward in the message, I'm going to beat up on some of, some other religions, and I'm going to use them as a, as a contrast to Christianity. And that's all I'm trying to do, is to make an illustration, make a, con- a contrast. Like I said, our, our goal is to test ourselves, to test our faith, to see where we are. And so we're not intending to, to be offensive, although it probably is offensive, but like I said, the idea is to talk specifically about like, Muslims and Mormons and Catholics, and to use that as a contrast to what the Bible says. And we can place people who are outside of Christ, and I'm going to use three categories, I'm sure there are more, but I'm going to use three categories. And each of these groups, they reject Christ for various reasons. And as I said at the beginning, that the point is not to be deceived, to cut through lies, even lies that we tell ourselves. Because we want to have an honest view of our position as it relates to God. To go back to the very beginning, to that, that verse in, in Corinthians test ourselves. So the first category is, you know, the person who is, is, you know, for lack of a better term, a heathen or a hedonist. People who do not know God or who intentionally reject God. And I would put, you know, atheists and Buddhists and, and Hindus and all of those under that category. They intentionally reject God. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? That those people would not call themselves Christians. They're intentional about it. In many ways, those folks are easier to preach the gospel to because they have intentionally rejected it. They are not fooling themselves. They are not saying that they are Christians when, in fact, they are not. It's much easier to talk to a person about something in a negative like that. You know, Even a a Muslim who they claim God, but even that kind of person would be easier to talk to about what a genuine believer is in comparison to someone who thinks that they are a Christian, who are self-deceived, or who, for whatever reason, takes on the mantle of a Christian, even knowing what is in their hearts. The important thing about that, though, is to know what God's heart is for people who are like that. we're all the same. He puts the same effort into all of us. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We could go to Genesis and talk about Abraham and how it says all nations will be saved through the seed. If we were to go to to Hall of Faith over in Hebrews chapter 11, it teases this out. It says about the, the seed, which is Jesus Christ, that it was the Savior for all nations and for all people. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 8, it teases this out. It says, I urge then, first of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth for there is one god and one mediator between god and mankind the man christ jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people that word all in greek it means all for all people, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. This is us, guys. We have been appointed heralds, apostles. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 through 21. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is our ministry? It's reconciliation. Reconciling everyone to God. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Thank you, Lord. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You want to know what your mission is? Here it is. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The second category is the legalist. People who believe in in works gospels. And I would put Mormons and some Catholics under this legalist category. These are people who believe that righteousness, that a right standing with God, can be achieved by what they do and how they act. Muslims would fall into this category, although they're kind of weird in between because they don't believe in the Bible as it is and they don't believe in Jesus. It really is a form of self-worship. Legalism is a form of self-worship. The legalists can look at their own conduct compare it to an ideal conduct, and rate themselves and others. Any you guys ever listen to, to Dennis Prager, Prager University? I like Dennis Prager a lot. He is a really thoughtful guy. He is a legalist, and he, he'll tell you flat out he is a legalist. He was He's Jewish by, by ethnicity. He's not an Orthodox Jew, and he'll tell you he's not an Orthodox Jew. But he states his beliefs very clearly. He believes that if you follow the Ten Commandments, and if you're 51% good and, and 49% bad, that you're going to make it to heaven. That you'll go to purgatory, maybe for a little bit for the sins that you did, but that you'll make it, that you're in. That's legalism. It's based on your conduct. And like I say It's a form of self-worship. It's saying that I can be good enough, I can be righteous enough to stand before God. The Bible says, no, no, you can't. John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He said this last week, but let's be very clear about it. If the guy hanging on the middle cross doesn't say he knows you, you don't get in. That's it. It's as simple as that, and it's as hard as that. If Jesus Christ doesn't say, I know him, I know him. He and I have spent tons of time together. She and I have spent tons of time together. Come on. If he doesn't say that, you don't get in. All the rest of the stuff, all the rest of the book, that's for us for how we live. If we haven't built a relationship with Christ, if we haven't spent time with Christ, if we haven't communed with Christ, if he doesn't say you come in, you don't come in. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written, Curses everyone who is hung on a pole or hangs on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It is not by works. It is by our relationship with Christ. We have a couple of good friends that are mourning. And it's hard because legalism is so very attractive. It's like playing a video game, right? I can count the score. I can see exactly where I am. I can know exactly what to do. They actually count their blessings. Literally, count them. Oh, well, I helped so-and-so move. I helped this person do this. Blessing, blessing. You can almost hear the little counter go off. They're trying to earn their way into heaven. As if when you reach 25,000 points, suddenly you're in. Well, I lied this week. Well, I did a couple of bad things. I guess I'm I'm down to 2498. So right that isn't what the bible says it says no matter what even if you did everything in the law even if you did everything right you'd still fall short you still need jesus so the third category i talked about this briefly a couple of weeks ago is prosperity gospel people or material gospel materialists people who want to live in the world and be of the world but they like the idea of Jesus and simply want to add Jesus to their lives. They like the idea that Jesus can solve a problem or provide a healing or a promotion or even the idea of eternal salvation. It's attractive, but they're not willing to change. And I would tell you, like I said, that these second and third categories, the people who are are works-based and who are materialist, are the hardest to combat. And there is a ton of time, that's why we're taking the time for this message today, There's a ton of time in the scripture combating these two things. The New and the Old Testament combats these people who spend time in church and do not have a relationship with God. Jesus and John the Baptist and Isaiah and Micah, all of them have harsh words for people who are legalists and materialists. And a major theme of this chapter and the previous chapter is true and false followers of Christ. And we are seeking to be genuine followers of Christ. False disciples are called very unpleasant things. They're called tares among wheat in Matthew 13. They're called goats among sheep in Matthew 25. They're called foolish virgins shut out of the wedding feast in Matthew 25. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are called a brood of vipers or hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. That's in Matthew chapter 23. The thing is that I wish I could tell you that there was a list that if you are baptized, if you are anointed with oil, if you take communion, if you say the sinner's prayer, if you, maybe if you complete that, the Christian Basics Bible study by John McCarthy, that it would be like earning a badge in scouts, right? Stand up before your board review, recite the scout oath, recite the scout law, show me a square knot, a bowline knot, a figure eight, and a double half inch. Set your tent up right over there. Make a dish in your cast iron double oven. What really a good by the way Let me do desserts. Okay. I saw you do all of those things. Here is your badge. And you're in. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be great? If we could all do that? If, all right. This weekend, everybody's getting their badge. We're just going to get together. We're going to knock it out. Everybody, okay? So just Study up. Memorize everything. This weekend, all of you are going to be saved. Guaranteed, you'll walk away with the badge. So attractive, isn't it? To think about all the people that you know that are lost, to think about all the people that you know that are perishing, but if you could get them to just spend one weekend to recite a few words, to say a few things, to get dunked in a tank, and know that they would be eternally saved, that no matter what they did for the rest of their lives, that they would you'd would see him in heaven. You see why that's so attractive? Do you see why so many people proclaim the gospel that way? Cuz building relationships is hard, maintaining relationships is hard, persevering in the faith is hard. One weekend, a few words, a little sprinkling, a little dabbing, we can do that. But the thing is, you could pass every test, earn every badge, memorize every line, and you could hate scouts with a passion. The only reason I'm here is because my dad makes me. The only reason I'm here is because I I want a scholarship or I like the badges or my best friend is here. We were talking about this yesterday sitting at the tent. You should be baptized, absolutely, but being baptized won't save you. You should take communion, but eating the bread and drinking the wine won't save you. You should pray. And the Lord's Prayer and the Sinner's Prayer, the Prayer of Serenity, those are all beautiful prayers. But empty, memorized words will not save you. You should study the Bible. It's essential for applying your mind, your intellect to your faith. And there are Muslims and atheists who have master's degrees in the Old Testament. Satan quotes scripture. All of the head knowledge in the world will not save you. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, say, While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. The farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered, because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked out the plants. Still, other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded the crop a hundred times more than was sown when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's for everybody. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are those who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Part of your test. Here it is. Here is the sign of a true believer, noble and good heart. They hear the word, they retain the word, and they persevere in the word. Jesus never says it's going to be easy. He says he says the exact opposite. It's funny. I said I talked about Russell Brand briefly last week. Talking about how we talking about Jesus was a good moral teacher. I can assure you, there is no self help book on the planet that says what Matthew 7 says. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them, I never knew you away from me you evil doers therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock the rain came down the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash when Jesus had finished saying these things the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law he doesn't say that it's an easy wide road he says it's a narrow difficult road how's your road it's like I-70 I don't know depends on the section right pretty rough in spots. I would say that's how things go for most of us, right? It's rough in some spots. We have rough patches, and then it's pretty smooth sailing for some spots, right? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Because sometimes, man, it seems like everything goes your way. And then sometimes it feels like nothing goes your way. Sometimes it feels like you're, you're slogging uphill in a headwind. It seems like it goes on forever. And then sometimes it feels like we're just cruising along like it's smooth as silk. When we give ourselves these tests, right? It kind of depends on on what's going on. I can tell you right now that the folks over in Afghanistan they they know what a hard road is. I'm complaining about air conditioning. I was thankful for the weather this week, and finally it broke over and was a little bit cooler. They're worried about whether or not they're going to get killed. Makes us want to know how's the fruit of our life? How are we doing? I'm going to do this kind of in reverse order if you want to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. It says, fruit. That's what Jesus says. It says, by your fruit you'll know. So how's the fruit? It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Then we go up to the top. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious: sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery; idolatry and witchcraft; hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I wish it said something different. We were talking about this yesterday, about the thief on the cross. I really do. I wish that you know, when, when that guy turned to Jesus and said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. I really wish he had looked down at John. He said, quick, John, go grab the oil, go grab some water. This guy needs to be baptized. Quick, man, say this prayer before you pass away. Because then we would know. Then we would know the bare minimum, right? We would know, well, if you have to be baptized, you have to be annoyed, you have to say these words. Okay, if you say that, you're in. But even these false followers of Christ, they're still called disciples in our passage for today. It simply means student or learner. That's how we know it's a general term, that they're not only talking about the 12 and they're not only talking about um, the, the, the people that stay with Christ, because he uses the same word John does, disciple, for all of them, whether they turn away or they stay. John 6.2. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. They saw the show and they wanted to see it again. So why do you come to Canyon West? Why? It's part of the test. Why? Why come here? Why come here for church? John, Kyle, and Nathan and I were just having this conversation yesterday having a root conversation about what church is, how do you build a church, how do you make things happen we do this regularly trying to claw and scratch and tear at the very foundations the very walls of what the Bible says of how to build a church and how to structure a church and how much structure do we need and and what does that mean and how do we build it and how do we take care of people it's not always easy answers it's great to have conversations because you know, some of us we want to be minimalist. We're like, no, no, just you know, slap up a couple of two by fours. That's it. Let's go. Let's rock and roll. It's like, I uh, no, that, that, that's not a house. Excuse me. It needs walls and windows and doors and a roof. Otherwise, it's not a house. I might have built something. You might have built a lean-to or something, but you didn't build a house. That's what Jesus says. He says, build your house. All right. You need minimum structure of it. And what does that mean? And I can assure you that. All of the elders care greatly about building a church that is a house, that is a functional place for Jesus. And I would say that a house without walls and windows and doors and ceiling and insulation and drywall and plumbing, electrical and air conditioning is not a house. You can't form and pour the foundation and then stop building. And the foundation may be solid, it may be built correct, but the house can't be lived in. It provides no shelter. You can't live in it until the rest is done. But no matter what, if you came here for the show, I'm sorry. Hey, worship is great, isn't it? Man, the worship team does an amazing job. They lead us. Their hearts are so in it. Nathan is bleeding for you to have a genuine time, and offer a time to offer up worship to God everything he does is secondary to the Spirit. And do you have any opportunity to worship? That's what he is trying so hard to do. And believe you me, I am trying to rightly divide the Word of God and present it to you. So if you want Armani suits and sugar-coated feel-good messages, I'm not your guy. Those people in verse 2 and 6-2, they came for the show. And we know this of human nature, but we do this. We look where other people are going. We go where other people are going. This crowd is is no different. Think of the the crowds on on Black Friday, or I was thinking about my mom talking about when the, the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. You see the pictures of you know all the teenagers screaming, losing their minds, or for Elvis. Or think of the the look you lose at a traffic accident. People go where crowds go. I remember there was a there was a structure fire over off of uh, off of First in Patterson, and. They sent me to do traffic. That's a bad thing to do, by the way. So I'm over there trying to do traffic. So there's, I've got my car on one side, and there's a fire truck on the other side, and there's this stream of cars. It's in the neighborhood. We are not like out on the the main road. People are turning off of the main road, following a line of cars. It lasted for like three, four hours. People just wanting to go, follow the crowd, and look at the fire. They ran over fire hoses. They nearly hit a a firefighter. Because people follow crowds. They follow the lines in front of them. They wanted to see the show. Rook calls it the shiny syndrome. People go to the new shiny place where the crowd is going simply to follow the crowd or because it's popular. That is not a recipe for a Christian. And... There are some places you can go if that's what you were looking for. If you want the show, if you want the shiny, if you want the crowd, you can go there. And that isn't to say there won't be some genuine followers who come out of those places. There will be. But it is guaranteed in that environment that there are false followers. People who are not genuinely seeking Christ. People who are there for the show. They're there for the crowd. And Jesus says their heart was not in the right place. It struck me with the, the COVID thing. It was amazing to me how many churches I saw changing their signs and, and putting up banners and billboards to chase kind of popular sentiment. And I have to tell you that I am susceptible to the exact same thing. And it's one of the reasons why I chose to do the, the, the kind of the Calvary method where we march through the Bible step by step and verse by verse because I know myself, I know this about me. I listen to the news all the time, way more than I should. And I want to latch on to new topics and new things and the, the popular. and I want to, man, I'm so worked up about that. Let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on the next step in the Word. I am guilty of commenting or illustrating using the shiny. But I am trying to recognize that in myself and trying to stick to Scripture. But again, these people, they're chasing the popular, chasing the new, following the crowd, looking for the show that is not the hallmark of a genuine follower of Christ. Verse 2 says they were drawn by the crowd, they were drawn by the show, and they were drawn by the healing, by the miracles. This we don't have a parallel for. And they didn't either. Jesus was actually healing, restoring limbs, healing paralysis, casting out demons his signs of restoration were unprecedented. And his crowds were unprecedented also. To think about the feeding of the 5,000, 20,000 to 25,000 people gathered there, that's probably more than the population of the four or five largest towns in that area that gathered for seeing Jesus, that were fed that day. It's not to say that, you know, we still go to concerts and we look at magic shows. I love like you know, watching uh, David Blaine, the guy that does the hand-to-hand magic. I have no idea how he does it, but it's really cool. But our fascination with the supernatural is very common. You guys ever watch any of those those ghost hunter shows? I, I, I've tried watching them. I can't. I've I, I tried doing it. But their popularity is based on a fascination with the super supernatural. And they're kind of silly, but, you know, you have some grainy black-and-white footage supposed to be shot at night with their night camera, and it's all shaky, it jerks around, right? And then there's some scratchy audio, and then there's a host who's looking shocked and scared. Those shows are very popular. Teenage kids love those shows. They love them. Why? Because we have a fascination with the supernatural. John six twenty six says, Very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The signs are not irrelevant. The supernatural should not be overlooked. But the signs point to the man, Jesus. The worship of the supernatural, it can become an idol, or at least a, a distraction from Jesus. And when we talk about witchcraft, The witchcraft we are concerned about is the desire to either be equal to God, right? We want the supernatural power for ourselves, or to believe that God's power can be manipulated or controlled for our purposes. Or to remove God from the picture, right? To worship another God or gods or nature. That's what we're concerned about when we talk about those things. The signs point to the man who is Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds gathered from Galilee. The Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him most of those people, they worshipped the signs, and they missed what the signs pointed to. Illustrated in Acts chapter 8, it's the story of Simon the sorcerer. You don't have to turn there. But there's this guy. It says right here, practiced sorcery in the city and all throughout Samaria. And he boasted that he was someone great. And then he sees the, the disciples, and he sees what they're doing with the Holy Spirit, and he tries to buy it hey man, I want to buy your trick. How do I dispense what you're doing? How do I give away this Holy Spirit thing? Show me. Show me the magic. I'll pay you. I got gold. I'll pay you to be able to do what you're doing. Thinking about the supernatural, he thought it was a trick. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part with sharing this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, well, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages as we come to our close, when we think about the supernatural, we should think about two things. Eternity with Christ is number one. I said this last week, but it's very true. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of things going on in this world that we wish were not going on. A lot of things going, man, I, I wish that this wasn't happening. But Jesus says, for the believer, that these things will be refined in the fire by him. That with them. He's, through these things, he's with us. He's walking across the water trying to get in the boat with us when we are going through these rough times. second thing he says is, I am much less concerned with your suffering on this world. I am much more concerned with your eternal life with me. I am really not too worried about your 80 years that you spend here on earth. I am much more concerned with the eternity you're going to spend either with me or away from me. That's what I'm worried about all the rest of this stuff. He calls it light and momentary trouble. I don't know that I have ever carried that with us. But he wants us to have an eternal mindset. And these folks do not have an eternal mindset. They only think of the material of what is in front of them. They're looking for money and jobs and relationships and health and freedom from the Romans. They want it so badly, they want to kidnap Christ and make him king because they believe that he can give them relief in this world. They ate of the bread. They're like, man, here we have it. We have the answer to all of our problems. Not really realizing that the root of their problem was not in any of those things. It's not in money or jobs or relationships or health or freedom. The problem is in your relationship to Christ and your relationship in eternity. When they see only the materialistic, they don't have an eternal mindset. And they are not willing to endure And to persevere in their current situation, understanding that their endurance will perfect their faith, and that their reward is not in this world, but is in eternity with Christ. And in fact, Jesus tells them this. We're going to go to John 6, 35-40. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of those he has given me but raise them up the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks up to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. I've got the Samaritan woman at the well here. Jesus never offers relief from their current situation. He never offers a kingdom, a palace, riches, servants, none of it. He does not offer that. He doesn't offer fame or public favor or popularity. He doesn't offer talents or abilities or knowledge. To the woman at the well, he does nothing to offer her one bit of change to her current living situation. It is all geared toward the eternal. You drink of the physical water, you will be thirsty again. You drink of this world, you will be thirsty. All of the position, the power, the money, the fame, the talents, the beauty, it's never enough. You will be thirsty again. Our satisfaction, being truly satisfied, comes from the eternal. From looking at our current predicament from an eternal perspective. Second Corinthians 4, verse 8-17, through 17. we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then... Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is, risen, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people, they cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That second perspective that we have to have is that of Christ returning. We must live... Christ resurrected, and we must live. Christ returning. It's in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen through eighteen. So, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So how'd you do on the test? you don't have to share with the neighbor, But think about it. Did you think about your physical body, your emotional, your spiritual, your intellect, or your reason? Did you think about your time in worship, your time in the Word? Did you think about why you go to church, what you get out of it, and why you do it? Did you think about your position with Christ, what the condition of your faith is? Do you believe in it? Do you believe in God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ? You confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord? Or are you part of the crowd? Were you looking for a self-righteousness that you could achieve on your own through some action, some works, some words? Or were you looking for Jesus to provide something for you? Health or wealth or power or position, popularity or relationships? Were you fascinated with the supernatural? And has your view of your faith the church changed it all. I don't know. It's something to think about, isn't it? Let's pray. Father God, today we take a a look inside of ourselves. Father, we lift our lives up to you. That today, right now, you would tell us how we stand that whatever uncertainty that we have, whatever we do not see about ourselves, whatever sin hides in our hearts, whatever obstacles keep us from you please shine your light brightly on them for we confess that we are far from you but we are seeking you, we are turning our hearts to you we are seeking to cast off the things of the world, we are seeking to be genuine followers Father, please turn to us. Please speak to us. Please shine your light brightly to us that we would know you and that all of the things that we have that keep us from you could be taken away. We know that we have a life to live. We know that we have perseverance, that we need to continue in our faith. We know that tomorrow is coming. Please help us to rise tomorrow to do good works that are pleasing to you Please pour your spirit out on us. Please pour your blessing out on us. Father, please look down at this little church. Please keep it on your path. Please open doors and close doors and provide and do whatever it is that needs to be done that you would be glorified. That you would be, people would just see you and would know you. Because they cannot go away Father, please help us to keep our hearts and our minds on the eternal, to let the things of this world that are passing away just drift past. Please help us not to be preoccupied with the, the light and momentary things, but to keep our eyes on you. Father, please give us your wisdom that every decision that we make would be pleasing to you and that we would have the courage to, uh, to, to take the steps to Speak your name to proclaim you tomorrow, not just today. Please, Lord, bless our children. We lift them up to you that as they go to school, as they try and build their lives, that they are drawn close to you. Please shine brightly for them. Please speak loudly to them. Please put the the friend or the mentor or the the teacher in their lives that they need to persevere in what they already know about Please take away our anger and our bitterness. Please take away our division. Father, our nation seems so bent on tearing away from each other. Please help us to see each other as we once did as brothers and sisters. Please heal us. Father, we are seeking Your Son, and we are looking forward to His return. Thank You for the many blessings You have given us. Thank You for this day. In Your Son's name, we pray. Let's go fellowship.